You're listening to the second season of the study podcast with Dr. Paul Wegner on Genesis. Last episode, we discussed the image of God. This episode is a very specific follow-up based on this question. Genesis 1.26, who is being referred to with the words us and our in terms of that line, like, let us make man uh, in our likeness. Okay. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that. There's a lot of options. I think you can tell us about those options. Yeah. Um, because I, I've i gone through several of these options, I think, just reading it. And so uh, I think it'll be helpful to all of our listeners, all of our listeners to also hear this. Okay. Well, let's look at it. Here's the, here's the passage, Genesis 1, 26. Mm-hmm. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. See, that's... The, that's got to be hard. So there's four occurrences of this. Of this language. Yeah. You've got one in Genesis 1.26. Yep, that's the one we... Yeah. Okay. Then Genesis 3.22. Okay. Um, that one is, then the Lord God said, behold, man has become like one of us. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing good and evil. Now, yeah. it is interesting. That one's pretty pretty clear. It's no, he, He's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So it's actually helping us to know how mm. it's like us. Yeah. Okay, eleven uh, seven says, "Come, let us go down there and confuse their language." Okay, and Tower then, of Babel. Yeah, and then the last one's Isaiah six eight. When I uh, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" Then I said, "Here am I, send me." So that's the four occurrences of these. This difficult kind Some, of idea of something of of uh, or, or these are occurrences of God's referring to himself as us. Yeah, or or maybe not God. It could well, or be. God saying us. Yeah, God saying it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's look at them. Okay. Uh, but I have my Hebrew word for you today. I see three words. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. But what I decided to do is give you that whole phrase. Yeah. And and man, it, that, that first verb is hard to get, has become, uh, or it has been made in our image. That's what that last word Can is. Can you read it to us in Hebrew? Na'asa, uh, Adam, and then Memnu, sorry. Menu. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. There's four ways that can be interpreted. And that's Based on the, uh, on the, the, the verb, I guess, essentially, right? Yeah. yeah. So it can be an imperfect, mm-hmm. man will be made in our image, Okay. A cohortative, let let man be made in our image. Okay. Nifel perfect, man was made in our image, or adjustive, oh, that man would be made in our image. Okay. So the, most people go with probably number one, a man will be made in our image. Because this would be in the creative process, yeah. basically. It, right? it, so it's either that or the cohortative, that's often uh, given to, let mm. man be made in our image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the question is, is whose image are we talking about? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there are multiple views on this, and then the our the first one I want to get out of the way is: Are angels in the image of God? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, um, my understanding is there's nothing in biblical text to tell mm-hmm. us that. But remember, we talked about image being the ability to mirror the attributes of God. Yeah. If if that's what image means, then it would seem like a- angels can do that too. Um, and almost with any definition of image, you could get angels still being in that. You know, um, if, in one way, they're they're not. You know, their spirits like God is. Hmm. So it's got probably more to do with uh, will, to, uh, um, 
intellect, those kind of things, communication. Mm. So I think it has something more to do with that. And our understanding of what the image of God is kind of fits that fine, and it'll it'll allow for angels to be in there. Interesting. The only problem is that angel, it's never said they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's never explicitly stated. Yeah. But when you see them... Um, you know, they can appear like man, but really they're spirit beings, so they're taking on a form probably. Mm-hmm. So so it, it seems reasonable that angels are in God's image. And it seems like people do recognize that they're like emissaries yeah. of God, that they're connected to Him in some kind yeah. of way. Yeah, it, it, almost whenever you see them in the New Testament, they're mm. always afraid, you know, yeah. and the angel has to say, do not be afraid. Right. <laughs> even yeah. sometimes in the Old Testament they do that, yeah. but, but more so even in the New. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's good. All right, so that's my first thing that we had to deal with. Yeah, and now we're going to get an overview of yes. the different interpretations of this. Yeah, and as you can see, there's about five of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trinity or divine plurality, that means the plural either assumes or allows for a further development of the Trinity. Okay. And that one's probably the most common, I would think. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the heavenly court. God is speaking to the heavenly court or the angels. Um He's that, speaking to them, or like on their behalf, uh, kind of? It could be either, depending okay. on the context. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, that's the one I actually I hold, mm. and that I'll show you why in a minute. Um, plural of majesty. Elohim is plural in plural form, so it's probably because God is so majestic that he can't be talked about in the yeah, singular. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. It, it, that's what the Jewish... Uh, scribes often said mm. about it. it. It sounds very rabbinical, but it does make some sense too. If in their mindset, God shouldn't be talked about in the singular, then I, I, Elohim is our classic example of that. Probably. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then grammatical plural, since Elohim is plural, the verb and the pronouns used with it have been influenced by it. So that would just be like almost a purely grammatical, grammatical. Yep. instance type thing. Yep. That's interesting. And then the last one, plural of deliberation. The plural form is commonly used in self-deliberation. And so I'll try to show you some examples of that. Okay. But the problem is I don't think they're very good. Mm. So I'm not The examples convinced. aren't very good. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure that that one's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. Okay. All right. Trinity or divine plurality. Probably um, the most common. You think it's the most commonly held? I think so. Okay. Yeah. And then this is the evidence for it. Mm-hmm. So other examples of discussion among the Godhead, and they they say that these passages are those. We're going to look at those because I don't agree with them. With those specific? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And then um, confirmation of progressive revelation. Trinity is talked about in the New Testament. I have no problem with that one. Of course it is. The yeah, question is, is it talking about that in the Old Testament or not? Hmm. Okay. Um, spirit is mentioned in Genesis 1 2. Well, once again, that's true, but the question is, what did they believe about the Spirit in Genesis 1 2? Okay. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Angel of the Lord suggests plurality of the Godhead. Um, that may be true, but I'll show you some passages that I think are not showing that. Okay. All right. And then Elohim is plural. That's, again, yeah, we've that's all agreed one, yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Hebrew word for one is a kahad and means unity. Mm-hmm. That was thought to be true. Well, what has happened is in the Middle Ages, that came to be a, an argument, but it was never, I don't think it was ever held before that. It was an argument for what? Uh, for um, the idea that one, the, the word ahad is the word for oh, one. Oh, that and, it's unity. Yeah, that it means a unity, see. not one. That definition or that interpretation came up in the Middle Ages. Yeah, okay. yeah. It wasn't before that, as I far see. as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay? Yeah. All right, let's see what we got here. So the first one, um, these uh, when they co- 
talk about these as being discussions among the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, we'll go through each of the passages and see if I can point out why I'm not sure that that's true. Okay. Um, for, so Psalm 2 is, is usually thought to be an accession psalm. And, uh, and it starts off with uh, nations in an uproar, because usually when king, a new kings came to the throne, that would be the perfect time to rebel, because you figure oh, sure, right. the new king is yeah, not transition as strong of power. As, yeah, yeah, so it makes sense. And that's what I think is going on there. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So who does that word anointed refer to? Well, he's going to tell us. Look at verse 6. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. See, hmm. the, the king was anointed. Uh, you, you remember yeah, yeah. Saul and David both yeah, were right. anointed to show that they were God's chosen person. Yeah. So I'm, I believe that's what it's getting at. So he's telling us that his king, he's, he's anointed and he's put him on Zion. But then right after that, it's got, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. So the question is, who is who is the son? In seven. Yeah. Yeah. And my understanding is, if this is an accession psalm, what that would mean is that on the day that he becomes the new king, he takes the throne for God, and in the sense, he's God's emissary. Okay. And so in that sense, he becomes God's son. And and it's and that and and when it says today I've begotten you, I think what that means uh, it's 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 probably very cl- uh, close to what is said of Jephthah when he said he was an adopted son. Mm. I think that's what that's getting at. It's not the normal word to give birth to one. It yeah. seems like it's more that he's adopting the son or the the king at that point. Interesting. Okay. So so at the end of the day, this is not. Um, the father talking to the son, hmm. uh, meaning the, in the Trinity. Yeah. I think this is God talking to the king that he's adopted as his emissary to be his ruler on the on this earth. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's one complicated passage. That is complicated. <laughs> I mean, the, the begotten showing up. Yeah. Because that is very Trinitarian. Yeah. You know, that's the word we use to yeah. describe. You know. Yeah. It's a little complicated, because think about it. When was Jesus begotten of God? Sure. And that's got to be a problem, too, because he he always was. Yeah. So how is he begotten of God, or whatever that meant? Yeah. So I think there's even a problem with that one, but but I think it makes most sense that it's an accession psalm, and it's it's talking about the king. Okay. Okay? All right, what's your next passage? Our second one is Psalm 110. This is even more complicated. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, I even had to show you some Hebrew here. Okay. So look at Psalm 110. The title is A Psalm of David, Mm -hmm. but look at that. That that is actually um, and, and not unique, because there's about f- four or five of them that actually have it in that order. But if you look at it, it is to David a psalm, literally. Mm. And my understanding is that, that because that's different, I actually think that this is a psalm written for David and not by David. Yeah. Um, so what, it's... A, the different... Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. Well, let's look at it first, and then okay. I'll try to show you the difference. Yeah. So it's... Okay. The Lord, and that's clearly Yahweh, uh-huh. says to my Lord... Now, look at that word. That's not the normal word for Lord. That means, like, mm. my master or my... Uh, Sarah calls Abraham her Lord. Okay. And it just means, at that point, her husband. Yeah. Okay, so that's the term that's used. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
the Lord, there it is again, will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Do you notice something? I've, I've tried to point out. Notice it's always talking second person yeah. about your. Yeah. If this was David writing it, wouldn't he say, my? Uh, sure, you know, right, right. Stretch out for it. Now, the first one where God's talking, it would, but but your people will volunteer daily or freely in the day of your power. See, if God, if David wrote this, wouldn't he be saying my power or, you know, in the dawn of your youth, um, uh, youth, are you as the dew? I would have thought that it would have been first person, not second person. I could see that. Yeah. So then uh, verse four, the Lord has sworn will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the question then becomes, is David in the line of of Melchizedek? Mm. And I actually think the answer to that is yes. There, it seems like to me there's three people in that line. Mm. You've got Jesus, uh-huh. clearly. Yeah. You've got David, and and you've got Melchizedek. Okay. What's unique about them is that they're not uh, both of them were not from the right. Uh, well, um, Melchizedek, he he's. A pagan, so he doesn't yeah. have to be of the of the line of David or, or of, yeah, yeah. of Judah. Yeah. Um, but David is from Judah, mm-hmm. but he's also, uh, you know, the priests are supposed to come from Levi. Yeah, right. So how could David be both? Well, the interesting thing there is a passage in Second uh, Samuel, um, verse or chapter six, where David offers a sacrifice at, when he's when they're bringing the ark into the temple. And at one point, it says he's wearing the linen ephod. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my understanding is that he somehow understood that he was in the right line, that he could actually do that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So uh, remember, Uzziah tries offering a sacrifice, or Mm -hmm. even Saul tried offering a sacrifice. They both get in really big trouble. Right. David doesn't seem to get in trouble when he's offering a sacrifice. Yeah. And and on that, um, you could you could understand when he's offering a sacrifice, it could be priests are doing it for him. But when it gets to okay. the next verse and it says that he's wearing a he's linen wearing ephod, yeah. that one's that's a given. Yeah. Yeah. And in Jesus, most people don't have any problem him being in uh, a priest and a king. Yeah, right. So I mean that's part of it. Yeah. Right. Prophet, priest, king. Yeah. That's kind of part of his identity. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have any. I don't think anybody has a problem. Yeah. All right. So so that's seems like to me that it does make sense. So if this is this is somebody that wrote this for David, then it would be the Lord Yahweh mm-hmm. says to my Lord David. Yeah. And this is from somebody under him. Okay. Okay. So that would make sense. Yeah. If this is if David writes it, then we have a problem. Who is okay? Then the Lord is Yahweh still, or mm-hmm. God, then it says, my Lord, well, who would David's Lord be? Right. See, he would, he, would be, he would be the highest one in the country, so how could he have some Lord over him? Right. And so most people say, well, it must be Jesus. But that's a problem. I think it's a problem, because in the Old Testament, they didn't know about Jesus, I don't think, and mm. so why would he have that understanding? Right. And so I think it's, it's going beyond what David should have understood. Now, do some people interpret this as being like self-reflective in a way? Like David's talking about himself from another perspective. Yeah, um, I, I guess that's possible. Uh, I don't know of anybody who holds that. Okay. Um, I think the most common is to have somebody writing it for David. Yeah, and then David can say, "My," you know, he says, "This person under David says, my Lord." Yeah, the Lord said to my Lord, being David. Yeah, okay. So I think that makes the most sense. 
Okay. Okay. So that's another passage. So once again, at the end of the day, this is not discussion among the Godhead again. Yeah, sure. I okay. see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Then our last one is Isaiah 48, 14 through 16. Now, this one's funny because about 20 years ago, I wrote an article arguing that this was Cyrus, mm. and now I think it's Isaiah. Wow. Yeah, so I've switched. <laughs> Did you write a response article to no, your not yet. <laughs> <laughs> In the commentary, I've actually said that. <laughs> It'd be a little embarrassing. Yeah. Okay, so for, it says, Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. And in the context, I'm pretty sure that's Cyrus. Okay. He, Cyrus, will carry on God's good pleasure on Babylon. Remember, Cyrus is the one that's going to destroy Babylon. So yeah. in context, yeah, it makes sense. bring the people back, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. And his, God's arm, shall be against the Chaldeans. I, God, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I, God, have called him. I think that's Cyrus again. Mm-hmm. I, God, have brought him, Cyrus, and he, and he, meaning God, will make his, Cyrus's, way successful. Okay. So it sounds like to me, up to verse 15, it's pretty clear. Okay, and we've got God talking, we've got Cyrus mentioned each time. Now look at verse 16, come near to me. Now, that one can't be God, because God was already talked about earlier, and now it's going to say, now the Lord God has sent me and his servant, or in his spirit. Okay. So we've just changed persons completely. Yeah. So the question is, who is the me? And I think it's either Cyrus or Isaiah. Okay. Now, look what it says about him. It says, listen to this, from the first, I have not spoken in secret. Okay, now that could be God, but we yeah. know later that can't be him, right? Because mm-hmm. now the Lord God has sent me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that can't be him. But it could be Isaiah. Yeah, I think it could be Isaiah, because yeah. he was at the beginning, beginning at the first. Mm-hmm. And then it could be Cyrus, because Cyrus, if these things were talked about him, he was probably alive. You know, mm. um, now that that Cyrus is a little more problem because remember Cyrus is not going to come during Isaiah's time, right? And and Isaiah is the one that's going to announce Cyrus is coming. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it favors Isaiah being the one. Okay, all right. Listen to this: from the first, I've I've not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. So if it's talking about when it was announced. That would definitely be Cyrus. Uh, Isaiah. Yeah. If it's talking about when he's actually doing it, it would probably be Cyrus. Mm. Okay? So I think it makes more sense that God announces first, Isaiah did the announcing, and then it makes sense that he's the one that can do this. All right, now here's the difficult passage. From now, or and now, the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Mm. Okay? So there's no problem the Lord God. We know who that is. Yeah. The question is, is who's the me and his spirit? Right. Um, let me deal with the his spirit first. Okay. In the Old Testament, um, the, the spirit was thought to be an extension from God or a power of God. And they, I, as I understand it, they didn't understand it as a third person of the Trinity. They understood it as God having power that would then come out and go upon people. Like like when Samson, when the spirit came upon mm. Samson, he would go and rip Philistines apart. Okay. Right? Or when David had the spirit upon him, he would rule the people well. Yeah. Um, or Saul can have the spirit, the power of God taken away from him. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like to me they would have understood it as a power coming out from God that goes upon a person. Mm-hmm. Now, that's actually not, not bad, because in the New Testament, when it 
when it uh, starts talking about a third person of the Trinity, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's, there doesn't have to be any backtracking at all because God, it, it's, it's this, this spirit is somehow connected to God and it's, it seems like it emphasizes his power. Like the Holy Spirit, okay. what does it do in the New Testament? It helps us overcome sin, right? Sure, it yeah, lives yeah. in our life to make us more obedient to God. Mm-hmm. So it fits both of the things that it's supposed to fit. It comes from God but it also is a power that is is coming upon us to help us. So you're kind of saying like this representation, maybe a simpler version or representation of the Spirit as yeah. we see in the Old Testament, that doesn't necessarily conflict with like what we think of the Spirit in the New Testament. That's exactly. what you're saying, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, let me just bring this up because this in my mind is really crucial to understand. Mm. If in the Old Testament they would have talked about God as having different parts, mm-hmm. they would have thought of that as polytheism because they, the, the, the nations around them were polytheistic. So if we had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit... Yeah, they would see that as three... Yeah, three different gods being polytheistic. Okay. It, it's not until we get the New Testament where we probably have a more developed kind of understanding where they could they could understand that. Yeah. Now, even then, um, it... The, the New Testament actually has those, you know, the phrases in there, mm. but it wasn't until like the Council of Nicaea that they actually figured out what does a Trinity mean and sure, is, yeah, is he yeah, really, yeah. you know, is he is he the true nature of God and all that? Yeah. So it took them a long time to figure that out, but I don't think they had the concepts to do it in the Old Testament. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I think Tertullian kind of came up with that term Enough Trinity, to, which would have yeah. been like, yeah, gosh. Well, I'm about to say a number. I hope it's right. I feel like that was like <laughs> late 100s or early 200s, oh, whenever for, that term... Oh, the term? He wrote, you know, he was the first person, I think, to coin that term, but I think uh, it was Nicaea that kind of... Glued it together. Anyway. Yeah, and kind of like established the language of it. Yeah. And it's still complicated. Yeah. Today, I think a lot of people, I don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it, part of it, you know, depends on... Um, a contradiction may be too hard of a word, but it's like yeah. you're holding things that maybe don't necessarily logically... Yeah. It's this conception we have that lets us take all of Scripture yeah. equally together yeah. to help us understand God, but we have things in here, yeah. if you just put them on their own, you think these things contradict yeah. each other. But it's this concept we've, you know, developed. And so I, I could see that not being present, Yeah, you know, especially before... Christ, you and, know. And what we've done now, we've we've talked about it being God's nature. He has three natures in one essence. Okay, but I'm not sure that the Old Testament had developed those kind of concepts yet. Right, right, okay. right. All right, does that make sense? So we've got now, um, the last part of this verse is the real dilemma. And now the Lord God, that's clearly the Father, yeah. has sent me, okay, and his Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I actually argue the Lord God is definitely the Father, the me is is either Isaiah or Cyrus, but I think it makes most sense that it's Isaiah because he was around when the uh, the prophecy was given, yeah. and he was not doing it. In a, you know, I think what he's getting at, he wasn't doing it undercover, and it was it was not right, a right, secret. Right, Everybody right. knew it. Yeah, and then his spirit would be the power coming out from God to do the job. And, and like a Trinitarian reading of this would say, "Me is." Yeah, Jesus. Jesus essentially, yeah. right? And but but as you can look at the context to say that that's Jesus would would certainly not understand the context at all. I I will tell you I have a good friend that argues this is trinitarian, but I just don't understand how you could get that in that context. It seems like Cyrus or Isaiah would make a lot more sense. Historically for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that that's this is a complicated thing. Yeah. Maybe but. we should get that friend in here or another friend <laughs> who's better go. at speaking about the Trinity than me. Yeah. Because <laughs> that'd be kind of fun to talk about, too, is how do they read this? Because my suspicion would be it has to do with how yeah. we read the Old Testament. That yeah. probably plays into it. I it's a hermeneutical so. kind of question, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've just dealt with all the difficult passages in the in the Bible, so we don't have to worry anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. So um, uh, so the evidence for this, uh, other examples of discussion among Godhead, I've tried to show that's not a good argument because those aren't what they're talking about, I don't think. Uh, c- confirmed by progressive revelation, I already agree with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirit is mentioned in Genesis 1-2. Now, I, I and think, just to clarify, we're talking about evidence for... Uh, Trinity. Genesis one twenty six. Yeah. And those other passages kind of referring to a, a Trinitarian reading of yes. us an hour. Yeah. yeah. And then um, spirit is mentioned in Genesis one two. See, I've already talked about. Yeah, yeah, that. we hit that. Yeah. But but if you think about it, it makes more sense that it's a power from God coming out. Um, um, that also makes a lot of sense in the. Well, in fact, I've got a another uh, uh, PowerPoint yeah, to you, show you that one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let, let's uh, let's let's go see it. Oh, so it's spirit, the next one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's here it is. Um, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Okay? So there's there's several possibilities. So one is the third person of the Trinity, so I admit that. They would have uh, thought of God as... Uh, I would argue the problem, they would have thought of God as polytheistic, if mm-hmm. that's another God or another person there. Um, and they'd have no context for that point, I wouldn't think. Does that makes okay. sense. They, they, yeah, it's yeah. just it would. I would have thought it been foreign to them. They shouldn't have had yeah. that understanding. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, some people argue it's a great wind. Remember, ruach mm-hmm. can also mean wind. Yeah. And so if uh, if you use Elohim as a superlative, and in the Old Testament it sometimes does that, um, you could have that be a great wind that's blowing across. Now, look at, um, notice it's, it's, the earth is formless and void, and, and it looks like there's water on mm-hmm. it. And to have a great wind blowing across that would actually make some sense. Sure, yeah. I, yeah. I don't actually go that way, but I, I can see why they would do that. Yeah. Do you think that implies that it's, the water's chaotic? Is that kind of yeah, the yeah. idea? It's yeah. an illustration that the water is not settled. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, number three is the power of God, a power emanating from God. And that's the one I hold Mm-hmm. Here's which would make sense because the next verses, uh, God is going to start creating and shaping the world, so it would make sense to have the power of God getting ready to do that creation. Okay, so let me ask you a clarifying question because sure. this is I, we were kind of getting into this just a moment ago. Okay, so you're saying your read of this specifically for ancient Israel, yeah, would have been that this is the power of God emanating from God. Do you think looking back at it now? Both those options, that it's the third person of the Trinity and kind of this concept of the power of God, both those could be true. Um, I would say they may be. The only problem with that is that it doesn't clearly say it's the Holy Spirit. And and no, nothing in the New Testament ever comes back and says, oh yeah, that yeah, was yeah, the yeah, Holy yeah. Spirit here. I see. Now, there is a passage in John that actually talks about the the Logos of God mm. back at the beginning. So that, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there you have a passage in John 1 where it actually says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the mm-hmm. Word was with God. And that Word, the Logos, seemed to be God. I had no clue of that when I looked at Genesis 1. But later on, John comes back and explains that. Yeah. So 
Is it possible that that's the Holy Spirit? Maybe, but there's no passage in the New Testament that comes back and clarifies that. And that's what you would be depending on. That's what I'd want, yeah. Yeah. The New Testament being specific about that. Yeah. So if if we don't have something like that, then I assume that what we should do is read it the way they would have understood it. Mm. And that's, I think, how they would have understood it. It's a power of God coming out on them. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. The next one. Um, uh, angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. Now, yeah. this is another uh, big issue. Yeah, prep this a little bit for me. I wasn't sure exactly what you were referring to when you said this originally. Oh, here, let's go to it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the angel of the Lord, we've got him occurring, oh, probably 50 times mm-hmm. in the Old Testament where an angel comes and sometimes he takes, uh, you know, like it, it sounds like he's talking as if the Lord's talking. Okay. Um, and so like in Genesis 18, do you remember when the three angels came to uh, Abraham? And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them apparently is the angel of the Lord that actually seems to be talking for God. Hmm. And it, and sometimes it will say, and the Lord said yeah, it, yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. So so that becomes the issue, and the question is, okay, who is that? Yeah. Okay? Here's a, okay. There's at least three possibilities. One is a self-manifestation of God. Okay. I assume if God can appear as a burning bush, he can appear as an angel, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay? Um, the pre-incarnate Christ, I would say there's some problems with that. Um, again, they would have thought of that as polytheism. Mm. So if you have an angel that's actually really Christ, then then that they, here's another person that looks like in the Godhead, mm. and I think they would have thought that was polytheism. Um, uh, and then the, the second question is, what would be so unique about him coming in the New Testament if he had showed up? If Christ had shown up multiple, multiple times, times in the Old Testament. Yeah. So that seems to be a dilemma for me. Um, I don't think McDonald's right, who argues then that Dasidus would have had the day. Dasidus argued that he just appears to be God. He's not really God. Oh, yeah. okay. And I, I think that's wrong because I, I think that's pushing that too far. Mm. But it does seem like me what's unique about Jesus coming in the New Testament if he's already continued to show up in the Old Testament. Mm. And and I guess you could say, well, now he's coming in a real body and he's now coming to live out his life. Yeah, and in that a specific kind of the, task. Yeah. Yeah, there's maybe something there. Yeah, so I figure, I, okay, I can allow for that. Yeah. It just seems like it takes away from having Jesus come when he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, at and least the that, third. Yeah, at least I don't favor it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, then the last one is an angel with a special commission from God. Okay. And that's the one I hold. Yeah. And the reason is angels are basically messengers from God, right? And this one has God's authority. Let me show you some passages. Yeah. These are really interesting. The Exodus 23, 20 and 21. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. And okay. I, th- I think what that means, my name is in him, means he has my authority. Yeah. So if you, if you disobey him, he's going to pardon you. Or, I mean, he's going to punish you. Yeah. He won't pardon you. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Okay. So if that's, if that's really true, and he's, he has, this one doesn't even say it's the angel of the Lord. This one is an angel that he's sending before them. Yeah. So my understanding is that there must have been a concept in the Old Testament where an angel could appear and have God's authority... And they actually had to obey him because he carried God's authority, mm. and that would so that would fit 
the term angel of the Lord just perfectly, because this is a, yeah, I could see that. a special angel with God's authority. Yeah. And it, it doesn't appear in the New Testament. There's probably mm. some grammatical reasons for that, but also my understanding is by the New Testament, there may not have been that concept of uh, an angel messenger formula where, where he's actually speaking for the person. It's almost like mm. our concept of an ambassador. I see. Yeah, where an ambassador would come and and he, you know, you better not embarrass him because that ambassador he is... speaks for the country. Yeah. Right. Right. Interesting. Okay. 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 All right. And then judges is the other one. Uh, Thirteen uh, sixteen. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "Though you detain me, oh, this this is it. Clearly, it says it's the angel of the Lord." Okay, now watch this. He makes a distinction. Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. Notice it. He doesn't say offer it to me. Right. So, so here's the angel of the Lord saying, well, offer it to the Lord. So it sounds like to me he's he's clearly saying... Saying there's distinct. a separation. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, then it, and then the explanation is, for Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Well, that would make sense if, if you know, he thought he was an image of God or something like that. Yeah, What yeah, he yeah. didn't understand, oh, no, this is the angel of the Lord. Yeah. So That's I think interesting. That, yeah, I think That's that... That's a pretty good one, actually. I think both of those are really, really helpful. Yeah. So my understanding is in the Old Testament, you have a different concept of when you see an angel, and some of them have God's authority, but... but Almost everybody, when they see an angel, even the Old Testament, they fear. Yeah. And, and Daniel bows down when he sees an angel coming. Yeah, right, right, so, right. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said about that. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so we've the, the last one is that Elohim is plural. I don't doubt that at all. The question is, is does that mean it's Trinity? And I would think probably not. Hmm. You know, um, there's other explanations for that, like the plural of majesty, and I or honor oh, I see, plural. I see. So I think those make more sense than than saying it's got to be Trinity there because of the term Elohim yeah. being used. Okay, yeah. I see. Yeah. And then the last one is Deuteronomy, or I mean, sorry, uh, the word, Hebrew word for one is Ahad, and they argue it meant unity, not one. Um, so they're saying that God is a unity. Okay. The problem with that is that's a later developed concept. Yeah. And Deuteronomy 6.4, I think, makes it really clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Well, what, that, the whole concept of mon, uh, you know, monotheism came from that. And, and that seems to be what Israel was, you know, they were, it was almost unique. Now, there's, there's a time in Egypt where they held one God, but most of the time they were polytheistic. So to right. have Israel arguing that Yahweh is one, yeah, and seems like to me he they're actually meaning he's one God. He's not polytheism like the other gods. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that one again, the the idea of unity doesn't make sense there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I buy that. So those are the that's the evidence for we've kind of been through all the evidence. Some of them I th- I'm. Are true, and we I don't have a problem with them. Some yeah. of them I don't think they're what they thought they were. Yeah, I okay? see. Okay, all right. So let's go back. Now we'll look at the heavenly court. Okay. All right. So th- so that would be uh, God is speaking to the heavenly court, meaning to them. So let us make man in our image. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So the first problem you would have is, do the angels have any part in creation, right? Okay. Right, because let yeah. us make man. Yeah, so, right, right, right. So it sounds like he's <laughs> exhorting them, them to help kinda, him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's look at these. Uh, 
Genesis 3:22 could refer to every heavenly court knowing good and evil because mm-hmm. we know angels have the ability to know good and evil obviously. Yeah. Okay. All right, then uh 6:8. Well, maybe before I say obviously, let's let's just think about that. My understanding is that at some point we've got a distinction between good angels and bad angels, right? We've got Satan falling yeah. and we've got good angels that are on God's side. Yeah. So they obviously know the difference. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that yeah. somebody doesn't come back on that. Yeah. Okay. Isaiah 6, 8, the plural is used addressing the heavenly court. It yeah, seems, that's a good example. It seems like to me that's the best one because in that context, the only ones that we've got are the seraphim there. Yeah. So we've got the seraphim and we've got God saying, let us make man, or I mean, that one said, who's yeah, going to who go, go for us? us. Yeah. yeah. So, and the only ones in the context are the seraphim. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. There's an angelic court is common in the Israelite, uh, a common Israelite feature. Job. Yeah, I was wondering if you can talk about Job. Yeah, remember That's a Job? very interesting one. Yeah. Well, here you've got God coming am- among the, they're called the sons of God. Mm-hmm. And Satan seems, or the yeah. Satan seems to be there. Yeah. So my understanding is that God can go into the presence of these other angels, and, and that's certainly doable. Yeah. So, so it would make some sense. There's a passage in 1 Kings 22, um, 20 and 20, uh, to 22 that talks about um, God's talking with the angels, and he says, who's going to uh, convince Ahab to, to go against mm. uh, the, the um the uh, enemies at, at that time, and he says, "Well, ha, here I'll do it. I'll put a deceiving spirit in their in their mm-hmm. mouth." And he says, "Oh, that'll work. Go ahead and do it." But very rarely do you get to see anything like that happening in heaven. Yeah. But that's a good example where it seems like he's talking to heavenly court. Okay. And yeah. then um, uh, heavenly beings are often called sons of God. You've got, you, and we all know that. And then the sons of God, I argue, have a supporting role. In Job, tw- I've got to show you this passage. Here, oh, I guess I'll show you some other passages first. <laughs> this one we already know about, so I'm not. Yeah. Both of those we Genesis three twenty two Isaiah six eight. Yeah. yeah, we did. Okay. Here's the Job passage. Uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? See, I, I wanted to make sure... He, this is God talking to Job, remember? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have enough context that you understood it. Who set its measurement since you know, or who stretched the line on it? Um, or what is the uh, are, are its basis sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. My understanding is that the sons of God are the angels, and that was their part of creation. They stood back and clapped when God made creation. Yeah, sure. So I think that's their supporting role. They don't have any part of creating it, but they praise God when it's all over. Yeah. And I think that Job passage actually helps explain that. Yeah. Okay? Okay. Now, hold on one second. Yeah. You actually skipped one of those. Oh, did I? You did. You skipped the fourth one, that an angelic court was a feature of ancient Near Eastern culture. Oh, oh. Well, I tried to show that when I said, um, uh, remember, uh, it was from that, uh, the ones above that, like yeah. Job 1 1, and, or Job 1 and yeah. uh, uh, First Kings. Well, I thought that was an interesting detail, though, that this idea extends past just. Oh, oh I see. So, so the. So Israel, kind of. Yeah, that Israel wouldn't be the only ones that have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, think about it. It makes a lot of sense in the, in the uh, polytheistic world of the ancient Near East, right? Because right. they had multiple gods, so they had to somehow, yeah, somehow yeah, some talk kind of, to each other. Right. Yeah. But Israel had a unique concept of it, essentially. Exactly. It still had one god, and there was some other yeah. group around him. Yeah. Angels, we'd say, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. 
All right, we talked about that. Okay, now we've got the plural of majesty. Okay, so this is our third interpretation of yep. the big picture question. Right. Us an hour. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, almost all the grammars say that it is very possible that Elohim could be a plural of majesty, uh, or they often, often call it an honorific plural, so that God, to be... Uh, to honor God, they talk about him in the plural. Yeah. And and it does seem like we got several passages that suggest that. Like on here, uh, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is holy. That word holy is plural. Mm. And then it, uh, he is a holy God. So it's an adjective modifying that. Oh, so it'd have to match. Yeah. 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 So I think it's uh, the, the best way to explain that would be the majesty of God or some kind of thing like that. Yeah. And then and we've got one other uh, passage. This was more of a plural of respect. Uh, um, then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, we should ta- that he should taunt the enemies of the living God? Armies. Or, I'm sorry, the, the armies, ar- armies of the living yeah. God. Well, uh, they've only got one army. Yeah, right? so armies would be the same kind of thing. Yeah, so it's in the plural talking about... These are connected with the living God. Interesting. Yeah. And now this concept extends also way outside of Israel. Yes. This use of like a plural referring to uh, royalty, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see it other places. Yeah. 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 So I think that's probably makes some sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Oh, um, once again, I'm not saying that it's not true. What I'm arguing is I don't think it's the best answer for, for it. Okay. For the appearance of us and our. Yeah. I see. Okay. okay. And then the grammatical plural, since Elohim is plural, uh, the verb and the pronouns would have to be influenced by it. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is in Hebrew, I, I don't think I gave an example. Oh, maybe I did. Okay. There are several examples where Elohim is used with a plural verb, but those are rare cases. Almost always, if you've got Yahweh and it's talking about the real God, Mm-hmm. It is a singular verb that goes with it. And if it's talking about the many gods, the false gods, then it's a plural verb. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's that seems to be a it's normal... It's a distinguishing mark, probably. Yeah, it's a normal yeah. grammatical thing from Hebrew. Yeah. So my understanding that that's that, that these plurals would not... if you know Even though I, I found several that have plural verbs, mm-hmm. they're rare, and, and I think they're not the normal occurrence. Okay. Okay, and I could never find a pronoun that was used. God, whenever he's talked mm. about, he's he's got Elohim, but it's always a singular pronoun. Yeah. So I never did find an example of a pronoun that did that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I think I I actually think that it makes more sense to once again have that heavenly court thing than even this one. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, a plural of deliberation. Um, this was suggested by Vesterman. Okay. But to tell you example, or tell you the truth, there everywhere I look to find examples where our passages here, you know, the Genesis one twenty six mm. and the three uh, twenty two. But I'm I'm arguing those are not the best. You know, it's like circular reasoning. There's it's it's got to be oh. this because of these passages. Yeah. Well, the, those passages are questionable. Yeah. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, uh, it, it's possible in English to say, let's go to the store, but really you're the only one going. 
it's not very common, but I suppose you could mm. use that. But I don't, I can't find an example in the, in the Bible. The best example they got is that 2 Samuel 24, 14. And it's, David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, uh, but do not let us fall into the hands of man. When it says, let us fa- uh, now fall into the hand of the Lord, when he's talking, he's the king. So when he falls into the hand of the Lord, the people are also going to fall into the hand of the Lord. Okay. So I don't think, I don't think that's an example of him doing this deliberation himself. I think he's realizing that when I make a choice, everybody's going to have to go with it because they're all going to get the suffering from it. So the potential interpretation of that would be when he's saying, let us now fall, it would be that's he's deliberating with someone else not representing the people. That's kind of what Vesterman says. That's what they're saying, yeah. And I think, well, it's obvious that David, when he's going to be punished, all the people are going to be punished at the same time. Yeah. So I think that's a real poor example. And I can't find any better ones. So I don't think it occurs in the Bible. So what would Vesterman be saying then is occurring? What's the implication of this interpretation in Genesis 1? Okay, I think what he's arguing is he wants to to, to try to ha- uh, some way explain how come the plural's there. Yeah. And, and who thinks, would be in that deliberation, though? It's God himself. deliberating with the court, or God deliberating with himself. With himself. Yeah, that's like... like. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, but the question is, is does that ever occur in the yeah. Bible? And I can't find one Yeah, that's okay. clear. Okay. Okay? Yeah. That's it. We have Man. made it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and tell us again where you fall on this. Oh, I'm I'm back at the heavenly, heavenly court. Heavenly court, right? It seems like to me the concept, uh, the the passages that are the clearest, mm-hmm. actually have somebody in there. Like like um, uh, now, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Well, it seems like angels know good and evil, so that would fit. Well, and that 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 phrase kind of helps it distinguish too. Yeah. It's not like yeah. Not They're, like us and in angels every way. are like God. Yeah. There's still a distinguishing thing there that says this is how they are like us. Yeah. How yeah, man is exactly. like us. Yeah. And then and then also in, in Isaiah six eight, that passage That's um, a really strong one, I think. I think so too. Who will it go? It doesn't for surprise us? me that you found that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as an Isaiah guy. But that that is very strong. Yeah. Because yeah. it kind of lays out all the characters pretty specifically too that yeah. were present. Yeah. So what we just did is we tried to explain how does that... And remember, it occurs in four different passages. The, the most common one is the Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. And the, the arguments against that are things like, well, the angels didn't help God create. Well, agreed, but, yeah. but if the Job passage is them praising yeah, God after it's that. over... That makes sense. Yeah. Or is are the angels in actually God's image? And I think the answer is more than likely they are. Mm. So so we are, so I assume they could fit into God's image too or be in God's image. So those seem like they're the best arguments against it, but I think there's a good answer for each one of them. Okay. So Well, that was a lot. That was that was complicated, <laughs> but that was that was very insightful, I think. Yeah. So uh do you have any idea for the next topic to cover? Oh, um, I, I was wondering if we're going to go into Genesis 6 and see who the Nephilim are and, oh, and some of the passages there. Well, that would be great, because I've always wondered that. <laughs> okay. Let's well. do that. That sounds good. Okay. Well, okay. we'll try to do that next. All right. That sounds good. Thanks again for coming in. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.